I left the security of that job in property management, you know, at the height of the financial crisis, when the market crashed, it pretty mm-hmm. much tanked. You are tuned in to Multifamily Mondays, the informal podcast designed to simplify and help others succeed at apartment investing. With that being said, let's dive in. Welcome back to another episode of Multifamily Mondays. As you guys know, I'm your host, Roderick Jones, and I am excited that you are joining me on another episode. Today on this episode, we have the co-founder of an educational service company based in Beijing, China, and a key principal of Delta Bridge Capital, which is a multifamily syndication company. This guy has worked both on commercial and residential real estate brokerage for five years and has personally closed $10 million in transactions. He was involved on a deal team that successfully syndicated the purchase of controlling interest in a $1.5 billion hotel deal in Manhattan. And he has served as the acquisitions analyst on multiple business projects for a Boston-based private equity fund seeking deals valued between 10 and 50 million. On today's episode, we have Dion Huey. Thanks, Roderick. Glad that uh, to be on here. Appreciate it. Cool, cool. So, how is your day going so far? Everything is great. It's a it's a beautiful uh, sunny morning here in Beijing. And that is crazy because it's going. This what's crazy about it is that the sun is going down here, and it's a beautiful morning there. And that's just like it still blows my mind. I don't know why I'm so fascinated with it, but. I found I think that's very cool. So you got started at the age of 17, family bought a duplex. You had bigger dreams and said, we need to rent this thing out because we can generate some cash flow. And then you get into the, the brokerage side of things. So once you meet up with this brokerage, um, you're in the residential space. When did you make the switch to commercial and what was the reason behind the switch or was it always kind of like uh hand in hand, like you do residential and commercial at the same time, or was it like a total switch? Mm-hmm. No, actually I didn't do it hand in hand. I mean, I, I completely made the, the switch after I moved to uh, Manhattan after graduating. So when I was so still in Ohio, doing my undergrad, I, uh, I worked with the real estate brokerage company there and, uh, you know, I got my first, big five or five figure check actually while I was in university and that just kind of gave me that taste of real estate and I said you know this is the industry I want to be in um, but at the same token you know being in the residential realm you know I just felt that the deals weren't big enough they weren't intriguing enough um, I wanted you know more deal complexity something that you know could stimulate me intellectually a little bit more after moving to Manhattan and um, kind of I fell into the property management space uh, for a brief period, but eventually uh, connected with a brokerage that focused on uh, commercial real estate. And it was, that was in October of 2008. And that month when I joined that commercial brokerage company, I closed the deal where I made mid five figures. What? And that was my first, yeah, that was my first month. 
And um, at that point, that's kind of when I really got hooked on commercial real estate. And I said, you know what? Yeah, this is something I really need to pay attention to. <laughs> and at that point, I, I just completely, my mind just said, you know what? I, I think I'm done with with looking at this whole residential thing. Um, so mm-hmm. yeah, I, I completely stopped, you know, residential transition into commercial at that point. Okay. So when you were in transition mode, was what was your mind like? Were you like, is this possible? Were you still like, you know, like I know the mindset is like the biggest thing when making a transition. Mm-hmm. When when you said, hey, there's something bigger. I know I can do better. What was the mindset behind it? Were you like, I know I can do better? Or was it kind of like, a, a, you know, it's we got people that's on the fence between right now residential seems cool, but I know I can do bigger things, but I'm kind of scared to take the leap to go and find bigger and better deals or dive into the commercial realm. So what was like, walk us through your mindset when you took the leap and was it a hard transition or easy? Okay. Yeah. You know, I think um, it's, it's really when I tell people this story, when I think back, you know, uh, because I had so many people around me, friends and family telling me that I was crazy. You know, I left, I, I, I left the security of that job in property management, you know, at the height of the financial crisis, when the market crashed, it pretty mm-hmm. much tanked, you know, and, and to go into this, you know, commission position with no uh, salary whatsoever. Um, at that time in my mind, you know, my mindset was a confidence, I believe, of just years of, 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 uh, you know, sales training, you know, and that started when I was, you know, 17. Yeah. Um, and at that point, uh, you know, I said, you know what? Things can't possibly get any worse than what it is right now. You know, the market's tanking around us. You know, people are losing their jobs. You know, who knows? Maybe I might lose my job too. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, it's like, I, I, I can just, I can, I can, if I'm going to lose my job, I'll do it on my own terms, you know? Right. And so I just decided you know, I was going to go ahead and make the switch when, when I saw the opportunity come you know, with that company. So um, I was pretty confident that I could do it. And uh, I did. That's the biggest thing. I guess you sold yourself. You sold yourself first. And then that kind of came out into everything that you did. You know, you were confident. That's the biggest thing. You know, you had confidence in yourself and you knew that you could do it. And you got up and you did it. And look at and it's it's crazy and that's and i and i focused on um the variables that i could control you know i didn't i didn't think about the things that i could not control i focused only on the things that i could control i knew that i could i can control the number of calls that i made the number of people i reached out to i knew i can control things like you know number of ads or or, or you know social media posts and things that i put out there i knew i could control these things mm-hmm. and in my mind you know, it was as long as I controlled my, uh, myself with regards to those variables, then I could achieve the results that I wanted. So you say control, you focus on the things that you can control. Let's, let's fast forward to now. So you've worked on some deals and you've, you did, um, you successfully syndicated a hotel deal and you've worked for a Boston based, you know, private equity company and you've, been on the acquisition side of multifamily deals as well. So what in terms of, you know, analyzing deals and deal sourcing, how do you control what type of deals you look at and how do you control, you know, 
what's a good deal, what's a bad deal, and 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 what you know you would consider to put investors' capital into uh, to invest into. Like, what kind of deals do you look for? How do you control mm-hmm. your deal flow? And we'll go from there. I kind of break it down from there. But those two will get us started. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so good question. Uh, as far as the the deal flow is concerned, um, I actually I came up with this idea last year, and I have a number of people that uh, I work with in a few markets, you know, that we're actively looking in across the country. And uh, so a lot of the deal flow that I have, it's coming from them, you know, before, you know, we called them uh, vacant house hunters. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and so what they're looking for are uh, multifamily deals and they're local and they are actively reaching out to multifamily property owners, brokers, and property management professionals. So mm-hmm. as far as deal flow is concerned, that's how it is that we're actually getting properties sent to us uh, mm-hmm. right now. So that's where these deals are coming. You know, uh, myself and, and my partner, you know, we're just, we're just two guys. And, uh, you know, we're connect, even though we're connected to a much larger team, mm-hmm. you know, it's, 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 our time is very limited in what it is that we can do. So we're leveraging with others, you know, that, that know their markets, uh, even better than we do, I would say, because they've lived there for years. Mm-hmm. You know? Okay. All right. So you said a lot there. Um, when, when looking at these properties in B and C class areas and knowing where we are in the current market, you know, um, a lot of people say we're at the top. A lot of people say we're in the middle. A lot of people say we're like eighth inning. Where do you see, where do you currently think we are at the, in the market cycle? And um, being that, you know, where we are in the market cycle for the next 10 years, how do you see, you know, purchasing an asset? Do you see, you know, going long on debt? And, um, you know, holding the deal for long term, going, you know, short five years, seven years. What kind of play do you see where we are currently in the market cycle? And how do you see it playing out over the next 10 years? So should people be looking for long term deals, short term deals? What do you what are you currently seeing now? Yeah, I'm glad that you mentioned this uh, because my my view is is this. Um, with, With regards to where we are in the market cycle. I typically don't like to make that type of a blanket statement. I think a lot of people do, and we hear that in the media, you know, mm-hmm. just an overall blanket statement as though almost as though like the United States uh, real estate market is a single market. And I'm sure you know that it's, it's the real estate market is kind of more of like a localized thing. So even if let's say, you know, take the example Columbus, um, you know, there was a deal that, we were looking at just over the past couple of weeks in Columbus, the Columbus market as a whole, uh, you know, it, it looks pretty good from, you know, just overall population growth perspective, growth in employment, um, you know, rents, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the particular sub market we were looking at and even drilling down further into the neighborhood yeah. that um, we found this property, just the economics were completely different than what we were seeing, you know, in, in the city. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, so I, I think it's, it's, it's difficult to, to make a blanket statement as far as, you know, where the, where the, um, the, 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 
real estate market is uh, going to be as a whole, you know, especially given that we're not investing in the United States uh, nationally. Mm-hmm. You know, real estate market, if that makes sense. You know, we're looking at particular sub-markets. So I think that, you know, sub-markets throughout the country are at varying points of the real estate cycle. Mm-hmm. You know, so, you know, we're looking at um, markets where we do see that, that they're still growing um, and that they still have the potential uh, to grow, you know, going forward, you know, over, you know, the next 10 years. Uh, period where we're expecting to see that housing shortage. So mm-hmm. take, for example, you know, uh, you're, we're looking for growth in population. Uh, we're looking for, you know, reduced or lowering unemployment, higher employment rates. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're looking at areas where, where uh, you know, we've got uh, diversity in uh, industry. You know, mm-hmm. we don't want areas where uh, employment is highly concentrated in one or two particular industries. Uh, we're looking for growth in median rents, uh, you know, low vacancy in those areas. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, that's what we're looking for. And I mean, as long as we see uh, growth uh, there, you know, in these, in these numbers and this data, I believe that, uh, you know, we'll, con- we'll continue to see growth, you know, going forward, at least in the immediate future. Right. Right. Uh, so that's the first thing. The second thing, I think, uh, with regards to, uh, you mentioned short or long. Mm-hmm. My opinion in, in for us, I mean, we're looking at, uh, kind of just holding for the long term. I, I think the last thing that, uh, my partner and I want to do is, uh, get into a transactional business. Um, I mean, if we wanted to do that, I think we would just stay in real estate brokerage. Uh, because, you know, real estate brokerage, you could still make some pretty good money. And, uh, you know, it's, it's heavily transaction based. And so that's basically why, uh, him and I, you know, we decided to transition out of, uh, brokerage and out of the, uh, single family, you know, realm. And go into multifamily because you can build, uh, long-term wealth. So I think, you know, typically, uh, on our end, what it is that we are looking for in deals, um, is, you know, where we could, where we take investor capital, we put it into a deal, um, we, through renovations and upgrades and whatnot, or, you know, and maybe more extreme cases, we would have to reposition an asset, mm-hmm. uh, but, we can cash the investors out within a two or three or two to three year period. And then there, everything else is pretty much icing on the cake right? because we've returned the investors capital to them and mm-hmm. we've returned a little bit of, uh, you know, uh, of interest on that capital to them. So, uh, you know, and, and, and that's what it is that, that we're looking at right now. So we're looking at, at holding long-term, Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, 10 plus years because yeah. we're looking at building generational wealth and we don't want to get into a transaction business. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. So in this, in this current realm of multifamilies, there's a mm-hmm. lot of talk about cap rates and how, you know, mm-hmm. cap rates determine the value of a property and being that, you know, cap rates are kind of compressed right now. Mm-hmm. Um, that means that, you know, people should pay higher prices for properties and all of that. How do you feel about, you know, 
cap rates and where they are right now and investors who are underwriting deals to, you know, what risk should they be aware of? Um, when brokers are selling deals, what should they, you know, consider? What should investors consider? Like from an investor standpoint, what should we consider as far as like, you know, what they're selling at? Because I know strong fundamentals are, you know, you underwrite, but it's all based on what the car- property is currently, you know, bringing in. And then from there, um, that's how you, you know, back into how much you're going to pay your investors and how much you can offer. However, in this current market that we're in now, we're seeing some deals where, you know, it's just what's the cap rate. And then you take that, you know, current NOI and you just slap a price on there. And then you say, that's, that's the sale price. How do you feel about that? And kind of walk us through the process of what investors should be looking for as they analyze these opportunities in the current market that we're in now. Okay. Uh, yeah. So with regards to, to cap rates, uh, you know, I've seen investors take different approaches to this. Okay? Mm-hmm. Um, and even when I was in, in New York and I, I was working in commercial estate brokers, I mean, we had investors that would do exactly what you just said. You know, they would uh, ask simply, what's the, the NOI of the property? You tell them the NOI of the property. And then from there, they attack, they, they have their own cap rate and they say, okay, this is, this is what the property is worth. This is how much I'm going to pay. You know, and, and I've, I've met investors that have made a lot of money doing real estate that way. Right. You know, uh, uh, but for me, it, it, and I think it has a lot to do with just my education and training, uh, and over, you know, the, the, the past, what, 10, 15 years of, of you know, financing and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that just doesn't work for me, you know? <laughs> yeah. So I, I like to be a little bit more, more conservative and really kind of dive into the numbers of the deal. So, but first of all, I just wanted to address, you know, what really is, is a cap rate? Um, you know, this idea of a cap rate, cap rate is just simply, um, you know, to, to real estate, kind of what a fee ratio is in, in finance when you're looking at uh, the value of the company, you know, it's just a measure of market sentiment at a particular point in time is all it is. So mm-hmm. it's just saying, you know, properties are trading around this, you know, uh, cap rate at this period. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's, that's the first thing I would say, you know, for, for listeners and everybody out there, you just look at it as a trading multiple a measure of investor sentiment you know how investors are currently valuing assets at that point in time okay Mm -hmm. now that being said again i just made a blanket statement so take for example uh if we're looking at columbus ohio and we say okay the going cap rate for multifamily properties in columbus is six percent well that's a blanket statement because remember like we just said earlier that within Columbus there are multiple sub markets, right? Mm-hmm. And then also, so the cap rates are going to vary by, by the sub markets. And then if we drill down even further to the neighborhoods, they're going to vary even more. You know, take for example the neighborhood that we were looking in. The cap rate, that cap rate in that particular neighborhood, was different. It was actually much higher than the adjacent market to it. So if you cross the street and go into the next market, the cap rate was significantly different. Does that make sense? 
Okay. And then, then the cap rates are going to vary between the, you know, between the assets. So if we're looking at uh, a property, let's say that, um, you know, they have 95% occupancy and uh, there are minimal renovations, not much deferred CapEx on the property, but, you know, do some light renovations. Mm-hmm. You can boost the rents a little bit. A cap rate for that property is going to be different than a cap rate for a property that's in distress. Right. Okay. So, you know, I, I would say I would just caution everybody to be careful uh, with cap rates and, and, and not just a, not apply them, you know, even when, when they're, they're looking at a deal. Okay. Um, and then another thing is people have a tendency to think that, you know, we have some crystal ball and we could say, hey, look, you know, I know exactly what the cap rate or roundabout what a cap rate is going to be in the next five or 10 years. I mean, you know, in, in my financial training and everything, we know that even the cash flows that we predict when we're valuing businesses, I mean, we could be way off. Right. And we typically don't go beyond the five-year period because when you go beyond that five-year period, that's like going out into deep space. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You, 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 you never know what's going to happen, you know? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, to be able to, to say... You know, we could we could predict the cap rate, you know, going ten years you know, down the road. I, I I just don't I don't buy it, and, and that's not something that I do. Right. Okay. Uh, when I'm looking when I'm looking at deals, so what I like to focus on is what's going on now. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I look at what's going on now uh, in the market in our sub market. I like to look at what's going on with this particular property. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, over the past 12 months, because once you get to 212, over the past 12 months, what, what's, what's the uh, situation been like with the rents? So, um, how are, you know, look at the, the rent rate. Mm-hmm. Um, do we have any delinquencies and things like that? Um, what about vacancy? Then I look at the expenses. So, and, 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 and I'm really just concerned with the cash flow of the property. Okay. Right. Now I look at this information. Then I like to go and look at uh, what comparable properties, what they're doing, how they are performing. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are their rents? Because I could look at the cash flows right now and reasonably predict what my cash flows may look like going forward in the future. Mm-hmm. If I go in and make that property more appealing the market so that to me is uh what i perceive as as being something like i said when i mentioned control earlier something that we could somewhat control okay Mm -hmm. um now from there when we're looking at when we're evaluating deals what we want to see is we want to see significant cash flow um you know annual cash flows so we want properties that are are, are cash flow positive and uh, properties where we can really boost the cash flows through like residential, excuse me, through uh, renovations. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we, where we can increase the cash flows because I don't want to rely on a resale event in the future right. to get most of our return. I mean, that's just the yield, right? And there's a lot of risk involved in that. So right. we're only looking at what is going on now and what we can reasonably expect in the future. Because remember, I said we like to refinance 
or where we're looking at refinancing events within a two to three year period, that's a lot more predictable than, you know, five, 10 years from now. It is. When you underwrite a deal, is there certain metrics that you need to hit in order to say green light on this one or red light on this one? What kind of metrics, what kind of metrics are you looking for in a deal? You know, do you go by like cash flow? Do you go by IRR, which is internal rate of return or what metrics are important to you when looking at a property? Yeah, so the two key things that we're looking for uh, as far as returns are concerned is we're looking for uh, an IRR in a money multiple. So the IRR, we're typically looking at between 15 and 18% for the types of uh, plays that we're looking, that we're, we're looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're looking at about a one, one and a half and two X money multiple mm-hmm. is uh, equity multiple is what we're looking at. Okay. All right. And in today's market, how many deals do you think you guys are looking at before you say, hey, I'm going to pull the trigger on this one or this looks like, you know, it's promising? I know we got to go through a ton of them to to find. It's like finding a needle in the haystack now. But how many got how many deals do you think you look at to say this one looks promising? Because I know a lot of us out here, a lot of investors out here are kind of like, hey, I'm looking for deals. I've been sitting submitting offers, but nobody is, you know. Uh, accepted it and they're just kind of getting discouraged. So mm-hmm. how many deals do you say you guys look at before you say, this one looks like we can do it? Yeah. Yeah. Before we put in an LOI on one. Uh, yeah. yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's really, really tough. I think uh, right now valuations are seeming rich uh, mm-hmm. at this point. You know, people are, it's, it's really competitive, you know, especially in a lot of the markets that we're looking at. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I, geez. <laughs> I mean, we're looking at maybe, maybe out of 10 that we get one, we might say, okay, we might want to explore it a little bit further, mm-hmm. but then even exploring it further, we, we still might not even put in, you know, um, on it. You know, right. Yeah. It's what a lot of investors are, are faced with right now. And it's just because you have a lot of, uh, people jumping into this realm at this point and uh, some investors are, are just offering you know, really rich valuations for, for properties. You know, I think mm-hmm. that um, maybe even in some cases they might be a little bit overly optimistic on, on some of these deals out there, you know, take for example, back to this the Columbus, you know, we were looking at uh, a deal there and um, you know, the seller was pretty firm on his price, his asking price, but unfortunately, you know, the the economics of that submarket and just the overall condition of the property could not support that valuation. We came in about five million below what he was asking. Mm-hmm. And that made sense for that deal. Right. You know, but unfortunately there were other uh competing investors out there that were willing to offer more. Uh, mm-hmm. for that property. And I mean, for us, it, it just, it didn't make sense, you know, and, and we felt that it would be a losing deal. So, I mean, you know, like I said, you know, out of 10, maybe you might come across one that might be worth, you know, pursuing. Mm-hmm. But then even that, even, even there, we, it's, you know, still might not be able to get it at the price that, that we would need to make it work. Yeah. Right. Right. Okay. So, where, how, how do, what do you recommend 
um, investors do to kind of source opportunities now in today's market? What's the best way to find a great deal or a good deal in today's market? Um, you know, like I said, for us, what we do is, um, you know, we have a network of people that are local to, um, you know, the markets that we're exploring mm-hmm. right now. I mean, these are just like regular, you know, everyday people. Um, they're not real estate investors, you know, they have jobs as well, but, you know, they look for, they're looking for, you know, part-time income, you know, supplementary income. And so they're basically the ones that are, that are feeding us deals, um, and sending us new leads. So, um, you know, that's one way that, uh, we found to be, to be somewhat helpful and it works for us. Um, you know, other than that, I mean, your typical reach out to your broker, property management, uh, you know, companies and, and see whether or not they can feed deals to you. Um, another thing it is that we're looking at exploring that, um, you know, we've, uh, I've actually done personally in the past, uh, when I was doing residential real estate is, mm-hmm. uh, mailers. So mailers and cold calling is another thing. So we've actually over the past few weeks, we've been putting together a list of, uh, properties so we can get on a cold call campaign. Oh, is, so, you, uh, what we're looking at. so you guys are rolling up your sleeves a little bit to go out here and find, find the right opportunity. I like that. That's, that's right. Different. Yeah, we're getting, yeah, that's right. We're getting ready to kind of go old school, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, even though it's commercial realm, you know, relationship uh, type business, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, we're, we're going to give, we're, we're going to go, you know, the old school route and, and see, you know, what, whether or not we can kind of duplicate uh, results that uh, we've experienced before when we were doing residential. So, um, yep. So we're going to try cold calling and, uh, and see what happens. Right. And I tried and a lot of people say, you know, they don't like the cold call, but before we had all this technology, people had to pick up the phone and call and say, Hey, you know, do you want to sell or, Hey, I want to buy something, you know? And now that we have technology, people try to shy away from it, but that's, that's different that you guys are going back and picking up the phone. That's awesome. Yeah, that's, it's, you're right, actually. But it's, it's funny you mentioned that because uh, that reminds me of a couple guys, real estate investors uh, I had a conversation with last year. And, um, you know, everyone's out there talking about, oh, yeah, using leveraging social media and, and, and whatnot, you know, to try and find leads. And, and these guys are like, what are you doing? We're just sending out mailers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we're really good hit rate <laughs> sending things through snail mail you know and everybody's like trying to wrap their mind around it like look that's like really old school i mean why are you doing this yeah i mean these guys they have they have a real estate business i mean you know they're doing about like six figures a month in profits just from doing you know mail wow wow so direct mail is not dead guys it is not dead and picking up the phone is not a foreign concept either so if you can go back from where you are now and tell your younger self something, your 18-year-old self something, mm-hmm. what would you tell him? What would you tell yourself? What would I tell myself? I would say, I would say dive into commercial real estate and learn as much as you can from the get-go. Don't even waste time on residential. That's what I would say. Where can 
people find you? How can they connect with you? How can they send you deals? Yeah, so people, you know, they could uh, contact me via LinkedIn. It's fine. Uh, mm-hmm. You can also uh, find me on our website. So uh, Delta Bridge Cap, com, And, uh, you know, we can connect there as well. Or, uh, you know, if, if you want, you can pick up the phone and just give me a call. Awesome. Awesome. And they will find your number on the website, correct? Yeah, my number's on the website. Uh, I can leave it here as well for convenience. Um, mm-hmm. It's 724-230-4185. Cool. And I also put it in the show notes so that way you guys have it. And w- what's the best? Well, they'll call you. They'll go to the website. I was going to say, give them your email. But pick up the phone and give them a call, guys. Pick up the phone and give them a call. Here are some action steps. If you haven't done so yet, make sure you rate, subscribe, and leave a review of this podcast. And the reason this is important, because I want your feedback. I want to make it better. If you can leave a five-star review, awesome. If you have to leave a one-star review, that's awesome too. But at least I know how you're feeling, and at least I know how to get better at it. So make sure you rate, subscribe, and review. Leave a review for this podcast. And if you haven't done so yet, make sure you get into the brand new Multifamily Mondays podcast group on facebook just go to facebook type in multifamily mondays podcast and you will see the group make sure you join and connect with your fellow multifamily mondayers and follow us on instagram at multifamily mondays and if you haven't done so yet make sure you follow my personal page that's roderick moneyman jones that's r-o-d-d-r-i-c-k moneyman jones on instagram And remember, it may be Tuesday, it may be Thursday, and it may be Friday, but it's always Multifamily Mondays. I'll see you on the next episode.